Welcome to the Real View podcast, where Ohio realtors connect you to innovators and influencers, keeping you with the real view of real estate. Whether you're a broker, agent, first time home buyer, industry leader, or just happen to stumble upon our podcast today, you can expect to hear tips, tools, tricks, interesting information, and so much more from the experts in Ohio's real estate game. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Real View Podcast. I'm your host, Allison Wiley. Joining me today is a national real estate speaker, Shay Hada. She's an Ivy League grad, a residential realtor in Chicago, and specializes in the sale of condos, single-family homes, and multifamily homes in the Chicago area. She's also a certified residential specialist, and as we mentioned, a national real estate speaker. She has done some continuing education courses here for us at Ohio Realtors and has so graciously agreed to to join me on this podcast episode today. Shay, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here with you all today. Yeah, we're super excited to have you. And um, we know how crazy this market is right now. And Shay is going to tell us her tips and tricks on how to gain more sellers, gain more listings, keep those listings, sell those listings, and then gain their referrals. So we have a ton to cover today. So, but before we get started into the show, I have to ask our signature question that we ask all of our guests who join me on the podcast, which is, what is the best view that you've ever seen? Boy, that's a tough one. You know, I, I'm going to say that there's two. Mm-hmm. And the first one is going to sound super cheesy, but I'm a mom. And that's the most important thing in my life is being a mom, much more so than my real estate career. So, you know, just watching my son and my husband have fun and play and laugh is to me the most important view. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if it's, if it's a view out the window, I grew up in Alaska. So most mornings I would wake up and there would be moose sleeping right outside oh my, my window. Oh my gosh. Usually like, like three or four of them because they would huddle against the house for warmth. So that was something that was really cool to wake up to when I was a little kid and I miss that now. Oh my gosh, that is so beautiful. So how did you end up in, in Chicago from Alaska? So a long story short, I, I went to college at Dartmouth in New Hampshire, and then I worked in New York City. I worked in Washington, D.C. after that. Eventually, my husband and I moved to the Twin Cities in Minnesota. Then he took a job with the National Association of Realtors in Chicago. And so we moved to Chicago. So that's that's kind of how we ended up there. Yeah. You're kind of a real estate family too. Is that correct? Is that kind of always something that you knew you wanted to get into or how did you kind of find your way with um, real estate? No, not at all, actually. So my husband has been in real estate. So my husband's Nobu Hada. He is the CEO of the Denver Association, uh, Metro, uh, the Denver Metro Association of Realtors. Um, so we actually moved to Denver about a year ago. So he's been in real estate for about 25, 30 years at this point. When we moved to Chicago, I was not in real estate prior to that and sold the two businesses that I owned to foreign investors and really had no idea what I wanted to do. And after about six months of kind of hanging out at home in my pajamas and doing terrible Pinterest fails, <laughs> my husband was like, you need to get some sort of a job. Um, <laughs> like, I don't care what it, what it is, just get out of get the house. Get out of the house. <laughs> totally. So he suggested real estate. So I was like, well, I'll give it a try. See if I like it. I have obviously watched him do real estate for a long time. And I ended up loving it and jumping in with both feet. So it was really kind of, you know, his suggestion and a little bit of a fluke that it happened. And now we're both in real estate. 
That's awesome. I love that. And it sounds like, um, you know, you like you said, you really jumped in and have really uh, taken off with it. Help, you know, 75 people a year purchase and sell homes. And you turned your business from 65% buyers to 85% sellers in just a year. So I am so excited to have you tell us um, how you did that. Um, and we all know the crazy market that's out there now with inventory. So low. Our realtors are constantly looking for those listings each and every day. What did? What's your advice to them? How would you say if you're giving advice to them uh, to attract more sellers? What are your tips on that? Sure. So first of all, most of my seller leads at this point, I've been in the business about a decade now, come from my sphere. So you have to do a really good job at working your sphere. And I think that's an area that us realtors lag in. We're really good with our clients during the transaction. But then as soon as the transaction is done, we tend to move on to the next transaction. And a lot of us are not good at staying in contact with our past clients. If you look at the statistics that have come out from NAR, it used to be that people stayed in their home about three to five years. Then that moved to about five to seven years. In speaking with my husband the other day, the newest statistics that have come out are now showing people are staying in their home 13 to 15 years. Wow. So you need to be in contact with your clients for 13 to 15 years after the transaction closes if you want to get their future business going forward because houses are a lot more expensive. So it's taking longer for people to have enough money to buy the next house. And a lot of people are coming out of school with student loan debt, things like that. So it's taking them longer to save up the money to buy their initial first house. And people are not buying that starter home necessarily anymore. You know, they're waiting until they're in their 30s. They're buying that house that they can be in for 10, 15 years. And so they're staying longer. So you have to have a follow-up plan for your past clients to stay in contact with them. So we have a past program or a past transaction follow-up program that's once a month. It was for 10 years that we would reach out to those people with money-saving tips, home maintenance reminders. Uh, now we're expanding that to a 15-year program so that we're front and center when they're ready to sell. We also do at least two to three client events a year. We do two to three pop buys a year. So I think staying in contact with your past clients is really the best way to get sellers. But then there's a whole lot of other ways to get it in front of new sellers as well we can talk about. Yeah, I think that's so important too. And I love what you said at the beginning about, you know, you think that, you know, when the transaction happens and and everything goes through and that closing date approaches that it's like done, you know, and like that isn't necessarily or shouldn't be the end of that relationship, right? You have to find a way to work these contacts in for a long-term 15, 13 to 15 year relationship. Exactly. I always joke with my clients at closing that, you know, just because we've closed doesn't mean you've gotten rid of me. You're still going <laughs> to hear from me as often as you did before. And it's true. You know, pre-pandemic, almost every Sunday, I had clients over to my house for brunch. They would bring their kids. We would play. My husband would cook. You know, I'm constantly going out to dinner with past clients, coffees, lunches. I think it's really important to treat it as a long-term relationship. I am your realtor for life is my feeling mm -hmm. rather than just that one transaction. You know, and those people, if they were happy with you, will give you a ton of referral business. That's where the vast majority of my sellers come from are referrals from my past clients. Is that the new sellers part kind of that I want to talk about next? Is it, Do you find that's mostly through the referrals? A lot of it is through referrals. You know, we also have a, a lot of additional kind of tactics and strategies to 
attract them. So one of the things that we did was we created a networking group. And so we meet every other month. It's got about 25 people in it. We meet over Zoom because of the pandemic. So it's one Friday every other month for an hour and a half from 1130 to one. And it's kind of like a BNI group. It's one person from each industry. So we have a financial planner, we have a CPA, a personal trainer, a hairdresser, a lender, an appraiser, et cetera. Anybody who could give you referral business as a realtor. And it's really a working group. So everybody has three minutes to go around and ask for three referrals from the group. Everybody writes those referrals down. And then those referrals are due by Sunday night. And I have to, as a member of the group, give out 12 referrals over the course of the year in order to stay in the group. And I would say in terms of sellers, the number one referral source for me in that group has been divorce attorneys. So we have a divorce attorney in that group. And then I spent the last several years cultivating relationships with divorce attorneys to get more seller business specifically, because with the pandemic, there's a lot more people going through divorces. And so typically you're selling one house and then potentially helping them buy two new houses. So out of that one referral, you're getting three transactions. So I would say go forward and find divorce attorneys and see if you can become part of their referral group. A lot of times the divorcing couple does not want to refer to somebody that they know. They want kind of an independent person. And so they either ask the divorce attorney or oftentimes the judge will refer some And so the judge will take recommendations from the divorce attorney. So that's been a great way for us to get sellers the last two years. Wow. I love that. I I didn't even think about that. That is like such a true thing that people go through when they go through divorces is, is what do you do with the property and where they live? And you're right. It turns around into they need to sell the house and also get into somewhere new. So it can kind of be a double win there. Uh, so that's that's a great advice. Call your divorce attorneys, everybody. Go 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 on Google and find your local attorneys and, and go have coffee with them. I love that. That's a great that's a great tip. What else to, to get uh, some more sellers and, and switching them into buying and selling? What other tips do you have for that? Sure. So Facebook groups have been really helpful for us as well. So we get a lot of business from Facebook and that's not me on Facebook all day talking on my wall or talking to on other people's walls. It's much more strategic than that. So we researched Facebook groups in the areas that we worked where people were actively asking for referrals, not necessarily for realtor referrals, but any type of referrals. So pediatricians, dentists, you know, soccer clubs for their kids to join. Because what we found is if people were regularly asking for referrals in those groups, then eventually somebody was going to ask for a realtor referral as well. So we went in and joined all those groups. And what we found was that when somebody asked for a realtor recommendation, 30, 40 realtors would go on and recommend themselves. And that's not very effective Mm -hmm. to get clients. What was much more effective was to have our clients go on to those pages and recommend us. So what we did was we found probably 20 or 30 groups where people were regularly asking for referrals. Then we joined those groups. Then we went in and figured out from our client database which of our clients would make sense to invite to join those groups. So do they live in that neighborhood? You know, in Chicago, there's one called Mama Hive, which is a great referral source for us. It's about 40,000 moms. So we invite all of our female clients who are moms to join that group. And essentially, we wanted to get all of our clients into those different groups so that when somebody asked for a realtor recommendation, rather than us recommending ourselves, I would screenshot it, text it to my client and say, hey, Susan, thank you, you know, uh, you know, 
would you mind going on to Mama Hive and recommending me? Somebody just asked for a realtor recommendation. I would really appreciate it. Here's a screenshot of it. And if you've done a good job with your clients, they're going to like you. They're going to want to help grow your business. And so 99% of the time, they respond back and say, no problem. I'd be happy to. They hop right on. They give me a recommendation. I sit back and watch, and I usually end up with six to eight recommendations from past clients. And then I'll go in and say, you know, oh my gosh, everyone, thank you so much. That's so kind. And then I'll address the person who did the post and say, I'd love to set up a time to talk with you and I'll private message them. And then typically I find I get the business because I've had so many other people recommend me rather than me recommending myself. So it doesn't cost me anything other than a little bit of my time and has been incredibly effective for us in terms of getting new sellers. This episode of The Real View is brought to you by the Ohio Association of Community Colleges. Ohio's network of community colleges provides accessible training that accommodates the busy lifestyles of aspiring real estate professionals at half the price of a traditional university. With convenient locations in every part of the state, as well as online options, Ohio's community colleges are your smart choice for pre-licensing education. For more details or to start the journey to a real estate career, visit the education page at ohiorealtors.org and then click on the pre-license course locations. Yeah. And that's so smart to rely on your client as the one to do it instead of putting, you know, your name and your face out there. Because of course, you know, everyone wants to promote themselves. And if you see a post from your realtor on social media, you're like, okay, yeah, they want, they want this. But when you hear it from someone who is not, uh, has no, you know, benefit or advantage from, from sharing your name in there, I think that almost means more and people take it seriously. That's, that's a really great idea to have your clients and, and individuals that you've worked with previously promote on your behalf. That That's a great idea. I love that. And I think if you're going to go that route, it's also really important to have reviews mm-hmm. on the various review platforms because two out of three potential clients are going to research you extensively before they decide to use you. And the number one thing that they're looking for are reviews. So we make sure that we have reviews on Yelp, on Google, on Facebook, on Zillow, and Realtor.com. And we push our clients really hard to give us reviews on those review sites because I feel like it really goes hand in hand with the Facebook referrals. You know, if my clients go on and say nice things about me on Facebook and that potential client researches me, they need to be able to find me online and see that I have a lot of good reviews online as well. Absolutely. And there are so many ways to get those reviews. I know we, we've we talked about, you know, just at Ohio Realtors, you know, how can we get good reviews on, on Google and things like that? There's little promotions you can run. You can, you know, give away a gift card, you know, for the, the next 10 people who get who leave you a review. And there's a lot of interesting and cool, creative ways that you can boost those reviews up um, if that's something that you're struggling with. So definitely a great idea. I know it's so important. Something that I do in my personal life, you know, I'm always looking at reviews. I always want to hear what people are saying you know, that have no skin in the game, you know, for lack of a better term. Um, they're just doing it as as their personal experience. So, so important. And I kind of want to um, circle back to that long-term relationship with your sellers. You have some great tips on how to automate communication so that that regular um, dialogue is, is continuing and your sellers are hearing uh, from you on a regular basis, but also hearing from you with good, practical, and helpful information. Tell us a little bit more about that. 
Sure, absolutely. So we use a CRM called Realvolve. I think it's really important that everybody have a CRM because it does allow you to automate that communication with clients, which is something you can't do if you're using an Excel spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. So with our CRM, we put all of our past clients in there as soon as we cl they close. And then we have a 10-year follow-up campaign where they hear from us once a month. So they'll hear from us with things like quarterly home maintenance reminders. So we created a graphic for each quarter that says, you know, these are all the things you need to be doing for your home in the summer. These are the things you need to be doing in the fall for both exterior and interior, because you have to remember a lot of your buyers are probably first time home buyers and they have no idea how to take care of their house. So staying in contact with them and offering tips like making sure they rob their sewer line, they change their furnace filter, they clean out their dryer vent. Those are things that are helpful tips for them. And what's nice about that is you only have to create it once and then you can use those same graphics year after year, each quarter. So that's automatically four touches a year right there. Something else we do specifically for people who we're hoping might be willing to sell is in the summer, we send a mass email out to everybody in our sphere saying, if you're thinking of selling during the winter or spring when it looks terrible outside, Let's do your exterior photos now while your grass is green, you know, the trees look nice, your flowers are blooming. And so we're typically able to sign up maybe a dozen sellers every summer and fall who then go on to sell with us that winter or spring by doing their exterior photos. So we pay for those photos. We send the photographer out, get them all done. And then that gives us a chance to work with that client for three to six months before they go on the market and help them with interior decluttering, repairs, painting, et cetera, that needs to get done to get them ready for the spring. Other examples of things we send out would be reminders to pay their property taxes, reminders mm -hmm. to appeal their property taxes. In January, we'll send out a copy of their Ulta statement if they just bought that previous year so they have it ready for their taxes. It's really, really cold today in, in Chicago. And so we sent out a reminder last week saying, hey, it's going to be below freezing. We're worried about your pipes freezing. Here's what you do to protect your pipes. Here's what you do if your pipes freeze. When it rains heavily, we'll send out tips to prevent flooding. You know, so we have some that are seasonal that are weather dependent. And then we have a lot of other ones that just go out automatically. And there are things about home maintenance, saving money on their home, different tips like that. Yeah. And it's really, you know, more so about just, um, like you said, that home maintenance and how to, you know, make sure that this is a long-term investment. Have you kind of found a good um, cadence or a good timeline that you're regularly communicating with these people? I know sometimes you said it's seasonal depending on things that are going out, but when is too much communication and, and what is that kind of secret sauce, that perfect recipe as to how many times you should be communicating with your clients? Yeah, that's a great question and something we do struggle with. Yeah. Uh, so so we try to not contact past clients more than once a month. That said, if we have events that are coming up, we typically start to advertise those six weeks in advance and we'll have that event reminder go out once a week. Um, and then obviously if we have Popeyes, we're dropping off Popeyes. We've gotten a bunch of awards lately. So we've sent out some emails about that. So I really would prefer it be once a month. I think it's okay for it to be twice a month if you have some special things that you need to send out, like if the weather is really cold and so you want to tell people to protect their pipes. Other than events, we try not to send things out more than twice a month and my preference is once a month. 
Yeah, that's. I think that's true too. I don't think we anyone wants to bombard me. Know how many emails are constantly coming through every day, and yeah, once a month. I think that's 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 a good cadence. So tell us a little bit about what it's like when we're going up against um, other realtors. We all know, you know, inventory super low. There's multiple people who you know would love to have any listing that that hits the market these days. What are your tips and suggestions um, into really making yourself stand out against some of those other realtors that you may be competing with? Sure. We compete all the time. I mean, even though most of our business comes from referrals, it's very common in my market for sellers to interview three or four agents before they decide to work with. So we're almost always competing against other realtors. Our plan is that we want to make it a very different experience from the moment that they contact us. So we want to get back to them within five minutes, if at all possible. We have what's called a ready-to-sell survey. So uh, we use Gmail for our our email service. So we have a template in there. So when a seller reaches out to me, if they reach out to me via text, I will text them back immediately and ask if I can have their email address so that I can email them a survey to fill out and we can set up a time on my calendar to talk. Otherwise, if they email me, I just respond to that email. So uh, we'll reach out to them. I use Calendly to do my scheduling. So they're able to look at my live calendar and select a time that works to hop on a Zoom call and talk. And then we have a ready-to-sell survey to fill out. So you could check that out. It's on my website, which is buysellovechicago.com. It's under the seller section. You click on ready-to-sell. So it's a Google form, which is free to use and make. And it's very extensive. When we ask them to fill that out before, we will hop on a Zoom or a phone call with them. And it asks them things like, you know, how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, what updates have they done? But then it asks them really more important things like, what do they think their home is worth? What improvements would they make if they were going to stay in the home for the next five years so we can start to get an understanding of things that, that buyers may not like about their home? What are they looking for in the real estate team who's going to represent them? Have they had good real estate experiences in the past or bad? You know, why were they good or bad? So it asks all of those kinds of questions. So we try to get that to them within five minutes so that they know that we're very responsive and we're very professional and different from the other realtors that they might be working with. Then we set up that Zoom call where we hop on so that we can get that FaceTime with them and see them. And we don't typically give them a pricing analysis then, but we'll talk to them about their house, answer the questions they have, and then we'll set up a time to go by, see their house in person, and either at that time, give them the pricing analysis or schedule another Zoom call to go over that pricing analysis. We also do a lot of gifts. So the next day after we do that initial Zoom call, we typically have Sherry's berries, chocolate-covered strawberries delivered to them. If they're in the office, we'll have them delivered to their office. Again, we think that's lead generation so their colleagues can see the cool gift that their potential realtor gave to them. Otherwise, if they're working from home, we'll do it from home. And then we really talk to sellers about us being full service. I have a client concierge on my team and her sole job is to make their life easier as sellers. Mm -hmm. So she will take care of setting up any repairs that need to get done before the property goes on the home. We have somebody who can go over and help them declutter. They pay that person separately. We have full service movers and packers who can come pack them up if they don't want to pack themselves up. She will help them after inspection, take care of any repairs that need to get done. She'll arrange babysitting, dog walking, moving quotes. You know, she will take care of essentially anything that needs to get taken care of. She's kind of like their secretary throughout that whole transaction to take as much stress off of them as possible. And then we have a whole gift program as we go through the transaction. So once we finish the inspection, 
uh, negotiations. We would send them champagne glasses from Tiffany's and the nice blue box. We send them a closing gift. We send them pizza on moving day. So we really treat all of our clients like VIPs, both in terms of service and in terms of gifts. And it sounds like you really want um, your customers to feel like they are working with an expert in the home buying process. And I know this is always something as realtors that we say and we want to live by is being that expert in the real estate game. But that's really kind of what you um, have created there. And what I what I hear you um, saying is we want to take care of everything for you in this home buying process. And we know what it takes to buy a home. So let us kind of help you. But whether it comes down to movers or declutterers or babysitters, you know, just like what you mentioned, that's kind of what you want in a realtor, right? Is to have someone who will handle all of that for you. Absolutely. And we'll be as hands-on as they want us to be. We've had people, especially during the pandemic, who it might've been their second home and they were nervous about coming back to Chicago, especially at the height of the pandemic. And so we said, don't come back. We will hire the movers and the packers. You approve the bill. We'll go to your house. We'll let them in. We'll oversee all of the packing and the moving so you do not have to come back to Chicago. We'll take care of everything for you. Just mail us the keys, pay the bills, and you don't have to do anything else. And that won us a lot of clients because we were the only people who were willing to provide that kind of level of service. I also, I have a a certificate from Harvard in negotiation. So, you know, I think that's the other thing that people really want in their listing agent. They want full service and they want a very strong negotiator. And so we're able to deliver both of those things with proven results. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, buying a home is is stressful enough and just having some of these little things, you know, taken off your plate, it just makes that experience so much better. And I love that you brought up the negotiation because that was kind of going to be my next talking point here is how do we manage? multiple offers. We know how quickly homes are going. We know, I I can't remember the exact percentage of the number of homes that are selling with multiple offers, but it is a lot. (laughs) How do you manage multiple offers in this market? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. So a couple of things. I think it's important to remind your clients and the other realtors that we are not saving lives here. This is not organ transplant surgery (laughs) that has to happen immediately (laughs) before the organ expires, right? Yes. So I think it's crazy in multiple offer situations when a property goes on the market Wednesday and people set deadlines Thursday at 5 p.m. and there's not enough slots for buyers to get in and see the home. To me, that's just nuts. So typically what we do is we put our properties on the market Wednesday or Thursday. I tell my clients they need to go out of town for the weekend. Please leave on Friday. You can come back on Monday. Mm -hmm. I need the whole house for the whole weekend or go stay in an Airbnb or something like that. Mm -hmm. So then we do showings all day, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We will do open houses both on Saturdays and Sundays. And if we think there are going to be multiple offers, we always set a deadline of Monday at noon. And that way it gives everybody ample time to get in and see the property, ideally twice. Mm -hmm. I want buyers to really make sure this is the property for them and that they are committed to seeing this transaction through. I don't want a buyer to put an offer in and then regret it and try to pull their offer, you know, or, you know, come up with some shenanigans to try to get (laughs) out of the offer situation. So I want them to have plenty of time to think about it, talk to their lender, run the numbers, make sure they're comfortable with it. So I think it's important that they have an opportunity to see the property twice, if at all possible, which is why we do open houses both Saturdays and Sundays. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that I need to be able to vet the lenders of these offers. And it's very difficult to do that in a rush situation over the weekend. Mm -hmm. So I want to be able to, on Monday morning, as I'm getting offers, start to 
go through them. And the ones that I think have the most likelihood of my client accepting them, I call those lenders and I vet those pre-approval letters. I want to know, did they only go through automated underwriting or did an actual human look at the file? Because I'm not a big fan of under automated underwriting. I think mm-hmm. it misses a lot of potential problems that could tank the deal. I want to know about their appraisal pool. You know, who's in their appraisal pool? Is it local people? Is it from a large area? I want to know if that buyer is W-2 or if they are uh, commission-based. If they're commission-based, was that taken into account when they did the pre-approval? So I very strongly vet those pre-approval letters. And then typically what we will do is we will have a communication that goes out to everybody who has uh, thinking about submitting an offer or who's done a showing saying, this is what our client's looking for. They are looking for this closing date with X amount of days of possession for free. So that's very common for us to ask for. They are asking for as is offers, you know, maybe they're asking for somebody to bridge the appraisal gap, you know, so we will be very straightforward about what we are looking for in an offer so that everybody has that information up front. We also update that in the MLS. So we put offer deadlines in advance in the MLS so everybody knows what is going on. And then we tell people we will get back to them by Monday at 9 p.m. or whatever it is. And that way I have time to present all the information to my clients Monday afternoon or evening when they're ready, they can make a decision and we get back to everybody. I think we do a disservice to both buyers and sellers when we make this a rush situation rather than having time for both the buyers and the sellers to see the property and think it through. So typically once the offers come in and I have vetted them, then I will put them all in a spreadsheet, set up a Zoom call, go over it with the clients and help them pick which is the best offer. And that's not necessarily based on price. For me, it comes down a lot to financing and lender who's willing to bridge appraisal gap, all of those kinds of things. So much to sort through. And I love that you said that about being rushed. Buying a home should never be a rushed process. This is, for most people, the biggest financial decision, you know, that they're going to make. And you're right, it should not be a a rushed process by any means. But Shay, this was so amazing. I have learned so much. I am just like, like restoring certain things that you've said, like, this is such a great tip. This is such a great tip. Um, So this was fantastic uh, having you on today. I know our listeners are going to take something away from this. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for your time. And thank you for all this knowledge and wisdom um, that you shared with our realtors. And congratulations on, on building such a successful career. My pleasure. And thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And I wish everybody the best of luck this year. Yes. Thank you so much to all of our listeners. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Real View. That wraps up today's episode. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at ohiorealtors.org slash The Real View and on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Have questions, comments, or suggestions? We want to hear from you. Email us at podcast at ohiorealtors.org. We'll see you next time.